Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. It's time for another show dedicated to the world of keto. Check out ketoreset.com for details about my New York Times bestselling book and send your questions to info at ketoreset.com. Hi, listeners. Brad Kearns with another dedicated keto show on the Primal Blueprint Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you have questions, comments, feedback, hit info at ketoreset.com. And while you're there at Keto Reset, check out the success stories. They're incredible. We add to them over time. And check out the mastery course because we've put all in one place the most comprehensive education on going keto the right way and introducing all those lifestyle factors, that comprehensive approach where you take your time, you go in stages, you do the 21-day metabolism reset, you engage in a fine-tuning period, you pass a midterm exam, and then you devote a six-week period to nutritional ketosis, and you graduate with the highest level of metabolic flexibility availing to you a wonderful life ahead where everything gets easier. You have better mood, better energy, better concentration, better physical performance. Oh my goodness, you're a nicer, happier, more productive person, all because you ditched the nutrient-deficient modern foods, the standard American diet foods that trend us in that direction of carbohydrate dependency, which basically avails you to the opposite of all the benefits of keto. You're a sugar burner. It's a dirty burning fuel. You're generating a lot of inflammation and oxidative stress just from eating food and trying to function throughout your busy day with this tenuous and cheap and dirty fuel source. There's some good videos in the course and also discussions in the book about this campfire analogy. So especially out of the gate, I like to convey this as the big picture uh, distinction between keto and carbohydrate dependency. So if you're at the campfire and you're too lazy to go around and look for the big logs and you just get a bunch of sticks and some watered up newspaper and you light a match, all of a sudden you have this raging fire really quickly. The other campers are looking over going, wow, that that dude's cool. He looks warm over there. Uh, But what happens is you have to continually feed the fire with more newspaper, more twigs. You're generating a lot of black smoke in the air. Can you peg the analogies now to the body where the The twigs and the newspaper are the quick-burning carbohydrates that are not nutritious and generate that inflammation and oxidative stress, the black smoke, the free radicals in your body. And then the fat and keto-adapted campfire person has these big logs that are glowing nicely because that's your uh, body fat. Even dietary fat can count on there, but it's a slow burn. It doesn't spike your blood sugar and then drop you and trigger appetite hormones. You're just keeping warm throughout the night. You don't have to tend to it very much at all. You poke the sticks around once every hour or so, and it's just emanating this beautiful, consistent source of heat to keep you warm all night. Maybe a twig or two here or there, uh, but mainly it's about the big logs and building that machinery, taking the time to forage around and gather the perfect wood for the fire and be patient and build that fire and then let it burn all night. Okay, get it? Okay, we're done camping. We're into the questions here. And the first one is from Kate. I've lost 11 kilos since October. A kilo is 2.2 pounds. So that's like 25 pounds weight loss uh, in, in a matter of months, five, six, seven months. I still have 6K to go, that's 12-something pounds, to be in the top of my healthy weight range. I've plateaued and my weight loss is stalled. Any tips? I've tried intermittent fasting, but not a lot of success or perhaps commitment. Keen to hear how others have managed to plateau. Well, first of all, big time congratulations for losing that amount of weight in a short time. And I think the body will naturally want to plateau after such a stressful event that is recalibrating the metabolism toward fat adapted, going into that caloric deficit that's necessary to drop that kind of weight. I'm assuming that uh, most of that's body fat, although maybe the first 10 pounds were uh, reduced due to inflammation and reduced water retention from transitioning from high-carb diet to uh, keto. So regardless, you've made great progress. I wouldn't get too frustrated about a little plateau And I would expect further results in the future where you can get rid of that final six kilograms. Maybe it's going to take longer than the first 11 kilograms, 
But if you want to accelerate the process, get this stuff handled, and then go on about your busy, fun life uh, while you're in the healthy BMI range, let's get it handled. Ideally, you have built up the metabolic machinery, metabolic flexibility to handle uh, a devoted calorie restriction, fat reduction effort. If you want to be extremely precise about this, as we detail in the book, you want to get your protein intake targeted correctly at 0.7 grams per pound of lean body mass. You want to limit your carb intake to 50 grams a day or below. And then you want to eat fat to satisfaction, satiety at meals, but uh, making a little bit of mindfulness awareness where you can create a little bit of caloric deficit each day. It doesn't mean a lot. If you eat 300 fewer calories than you burn each day um, in, what, 11 days, you're going to have a pound of body fat loss. In a month, you're going to have three pounds of body fat loss with a barely perceptible reduction in your caloric intake. And when you're keto and you've stabilized those appetite and metabolic hormones, it becomes really easy to just focus a little bit, make sure the carbs and protein is dialed, and don't purposely overeat just because you have a free pass for the macadamia nuts or the big steak and the vegetables. You can just be sensible with your portions. Make sure that you quit the moment you feel satisfied rather than cleaning your plate or uh, eating with uh, a little bit less concentration and awareness than normal to the extent that you overeat. Because when it's time to lose excess body fat, it does take a little bit of work. I was just talking with Dr. Lindsay Taylor offline about potentially having the message misconstrued when we say all along from Primal Blueprint and Keto Reset that uh, we don't want you to uh, struggle or suffer on your path to dietary transformation and pursuing your ideal body composition. But that's not to say that it doesn't take a little bit of awareness and discipline to eat only the foods that you need to feel satisfied and no more. No mindless snacking, even if it's macadamia nuts, even if it's totally approved, 90% high percentage bean-to-bar dark chocolate. Those kind of things can wait until that day where you're at your ideal body composition, and it's so much easier to maintain uh, a certain state, a certain metabolic state, a certain uh, body composition than it is to uh, reduce. The body likes to pursue homeostasis and will do assorted corrective mechanisms if you go about the process of fat fat reduction uh, indiscriminately. So that's what I'd say, Kate. Be patient and then uh, bring a little bit more awareness to your eating habits so that you can uh, even um, cut back on the approved snacks until you get that last 6K handled. And then, of course, the exercise component is such a wonderful... Uh, catalyst. And so if you're fit and you can throw in some brief high-intensity workouts, and the emphasis there is on brief because if you do prolonged, strenuous, exhausting, depleting workouts, it's simply going to correlate into an increased appetite, particularly for carbohydrates. So we want to get away from that kill yourself in the gym or out on the roads in the name of weight loss and just be really sensible, go in there, punch the accelerator for a short time, and then uh, get out of the gym or get home before you allow the stress response to kick in and flood your body with stress hormones and uh, trigger the appetite sensations and the things that really difficult exercise does. Okay, good luck right back. Congratulations, you're on the way. Okay, how about it, Sarah? Does anyone else doing intermittent fasting have issues with fatigue after finishing a fast? I have been doing 18-hour fast, 6-hour eating window, and when I break my fast in the afternoon, I get a huge energy dip. I wonder if it's stressing my adrenals or something. I've played with macros of the meal and I'm breaking the fast with, that I'm breaking the fast with, and it doesn't seem to make a difference. In other words, perhaps she's eating a low-carb meal, still has an energy dip, high-carb meal, still has an energy dip. Wow. Uh, interesting question. I wonder if this is a common problem. I would definitely consider it a problem. It's not normal. I remember visiting with Dr. Phil Maffetone doing the videos for the Keto Reset course and the Primal Endurance course, and he says, no, no, energy dip in the afternoon is not normal. That's an issue. That's a problem. So an energy dip after your first meal in a long time definitely is a problem. I'm going to guess 
that perhaps stress hormones are involved, and perhaps during your fasting period, you are being kept alive, kept going with a fight-or-flight response. So I think that further experimentation is necessary. One of the things you might want to do is play around with the uh, recently popular concept of the digestive circadian rhythm and search YouTube for Dr. Rhonda Patrick and Dr. Sachin Panda of UC San Diego and his work uh, on the concept of digestive circadian rhythm in a gist he suggests that just like we have a circadian rhythm for our sleep and wake cycles, we also have for our digestive system. And it's nice to be in close alignment with our sleep and wake cycles such that uh, when you wake up, you might want to initiate the digestive process with consuming any caloric substance or even a what they call xenobiotic substance, anything that requires metabolism to break down, even if it doesn't have calories such as coffee or herbal tea or what have you. But if you get that digestive system going when you wake up in the morning, you're telling your body it's time to wake up, it's time to generate energy, it's time to stabilize energy, blood sugar levels, and then consequently uh, observe a maximum eating window of 12 hours. So even if you're a big faster and you're doing 18, 6, whatever, um, you're just making sure that you finish eating uh, 12 hours after you started in the morning. So if you start and have even uh, a butter coffee or something moderate first thing in the morning at 8 a.m., you stop eating at 8 p.m. and maybe uh, trying to mix it up a little bit from that 18-6 pattern because obviously something is wrong. So my reference to the fight or flight response is that if you're not highly fat adapted, if you have a little bit of insulin resistance, you're coming from a history of metabolic damage, any of these things in play, um, you're going to make the glucose that you need during the day from gluconeogenesis, from the fight or flight response. And that could turn into a burnout fatigue situation, uh, especially uh, when you break, by the time you break your fast. So I would try something different and continue that quest, uh, realizing that you shouldn't get tired after your first meal in a long time. Uh, besides mixing around with the macros, uh, further experimentation is warranted. And I'm sorry, I don't have a more definitive answer for you, but that's a, a pretty sophisticated question, interesting, possibly unusual situation that we want to get handled. So write me back if you want to discuss further or especially provide additional details, you know. Thanks, Sarah. Okay, Todd asks the lately hot button question, is the keto reset diet limit of 50 grams of carbs based on net carbs or total carbs? I recently heard on your podcast that you can only count net carbs for the high nutrient whole foods like cruciferous veggies, green leafy green veggies, and avocados. So what we're trying to do here is make things simple because overall keto reset diet approach is to not get obsessive or regimented with your patterns. We know that ketosis is spurred by a strict regulation of carb intake down at 50 grams a day or below. But remember, that's sort of a, um, a, a blanket guess that will apply in most cases to most people. Athletes who are burning a lot of calories doing high glycolytic workouts or long volume endurance workouts can probably get away with consuming more carbs and remaining in ketosis. Sammy Inkinen on his blog and on his guest post at Mark's Daily Apple talks about his multi-day mountain bike stage race where he was consuming up to 200 grams a day of carbs and still putting up uh, high numbers on the blood ketone meter. So everything's in context, but in general terms, if you're active, you can strive for a general limit of 50 grams per day of gross carbohydrates. That's the tagline throughout the book. A lot of research and investigation with other experts. But then we threw in a little caveat or a little free pass when it comes to counting carbs for the nutrient-dense leafy green and cruciferous vegetables, the above ground vegetables, as opposed to the starchy uh, root vegetables that grow in the ground that are vastly more starchy, sweet potatoes, rutabaga, carrots, things like that. So when we're talking about lettuce, kale, Brussels sprouts, broccoli, cauliflower, um, they're very high in fiber. They have a low glycemic response. They're extremely nutritious. They're extremely bulky, so they fill you up. So even eating mountains of these foods uh, doesn't contribute appreciably to an insulin response. 
But if you think about it and count it up, which Brian and I did, uh, measuring stuff and putting out uh, presentations for filming on the Keto Reset Mastery course, it was a little bit of a concern when you're looking at a nice bowl of Brussels sprouts and a big salad and with, with green peppers on it and uh, chopped onions and tomatoes, and you're looking at something like that, and it's creeping up to be 12, 15, 20 grams of carbohydrates. So you're halfway to keto when all you're doing is eating uh, some, some plant-based uh, high-fiber, high-nutrient-value matter. So uh, we don't want to discourage anyone. We don't even want anyone to get burdened with an obsessive counting of these uh, types of foods because they stimulate minimal insulin. And that's the main goal with keto is to keep that insulin low and cut out all forms of those uh, high insulin stimulating carbohydrates. So that's why we kind of gave that free pass in consultation with uh, Luis Villasenor and Tyler Cartwright at ketogains.com, where they say something similar where um, you don't have to count avocados or leafy greens. They're kind of uh, bantering the number 30 grams of carbs to make sure that you get into keto and you don't fool around. Um, so it's somewhere in that range where you're not worried about it, but you're not really going and looking for uh, additional carb sources and you're cutting back on even the nutrient-dense carbs during these strict periods of keto where otherwise the sweet potatoes and the wild rice and the quinoa and the high percentage dark chocolate would be of no concern and not necessarily limiting them. But you got to keep things a little bit tight uh, when you're trying, especially for the first time, to get into ketosis and prove that you can uh, progress toward the highest level of metabolic flexibility. But it's getting to be a little bit too much noise on this matter of counting carbs. I don't know that many people that actually go to that hard work of writing down and measuring everything they eat uh, for a successive number of days and really being uh, accurate with their, their counting and their intake anyway. So I think if you proceed in that general approach of eating a plant-based, plant-strong, plant-heavy diet, not stressing about the greens that are going in, but being very careful and considerate to avoid all other forms of carbs during these times, you're going to be fine. And if you're, let's say, not putting up blood ketone numbers, whew, that was me, man. I was full, full keto, and I was still getting numbers under 0.5, even though I hadn't had a bite of carbs for 24 hours, and I'd done uh, intense uh, sprint workout during that period of time, knowing that by all uh, general perspective, I should be deep into keto, but at certain times just didn't put up those numbers. It was merely an indication, perhaps, that I was efficient at making and burning the ketones I needed and wasn't accumulating them in the blood. So I had no connection with me failing or not getting the uh, desired effects of keto, which were the appetite regulation and all that good stuff. So in summary, when we look beyond the numbers and ask ourselves, are you feeling good? Do you have good energy, mood? cognitive function, physical performance, um, losing 11 kilograms in a matter of months, and then complaining of a stall. Uh, that stuff, you know, just go with the flow, baby. Keep going. You're doing great. Uh, and then on the case of Sarah's question about having an energy dip after a meal, uh, then we got to look further because that's not, um, that's not a desired uh, effect of ketogenic diet, right? And I have that sneaking suspicion that um, the fight-or-flight response is to blame. Okay, especially since she's played around with her macros, and if someone wanted to guess, yeah, if you eat a bunch of sweet potatoes after an 18-hour fast, you're going to have a spike and a crash, but I think it's way more than that. Um, and of course, that's only the scratching the surface of the ideas. You could have an assortment of nutritional deficiencies. We always got to go back to that fallback question of, is your sodium, magnesium, and potassium intake optimal or not? geez, uh, start taking some ketogenics because they formulate their ketone supplement with uh, an ideal mixture of the other minerals and electrolytes, particularly sodium, potassium, magnesium, uh, mimicking exactly the state of your uh, bloodstream and the liver when it's making ketones. So it's uh, attempting to seamlessly introduce exogenous ketones without the disruptive influence of a supplement that's not molecularly similar to what happens when you make ketones in the bloodstream. So that could carry you through these dips sometimes and uh, contribute toward your keto goals. Another thing to try there. Okay, Todd says, 
Um, same thing. Is it about net carbs or total carbs? So uh, lots of interest in that. And we talked about the nuances of our message and should we change it? Should we say this? Should we say that? Um, and I just feel like be sensible here. Eat a lot of vegetables, especially the above ground vegetables. Don't necessarily worry about a scoreboard where you're going to go over 50 and uh, get a failing grade. Uh, but try that extreme carbohydrate restriction for a distinct period of time and you get to that point where you're metabolically flexible. That's meaning that you're going to have a uh, diet that emphasizes natural nutritious fats as your primary source of calories, your predominant source of calories. Predominant uh, size or predominant bulk on the plate are the vegetables because they're so bulky. So if you envision a plate, you're going to have it covered with uh, salad fixins, uh, steamed kale, broccoli, and then uh, fat from places like uh, pastured eggs, grass-fed meat, things of that nature, avocados, coconut products. If you trend, tend toward the uh, more vegetarian experience, it can all be done. Uh, but you got to get those fat calories in to achieve that satiety without exceeding the the limits for protein and carb. Okay. Christopher, does it matter how many carbs you have in one sitting as long as you stay under 50 grams a day? Interesting question. Again, uh, whatever I say probably doesn't matter a tremendous amount, so I'm going to go to whatever your personal preference is. I just heard Dr. Peter Atia, one of the leading experts in this uh, low-carb keto primal paleo scene, as well as in uh, longevity medicine, say that he eats uh, a lot of times only once a day, and he'll have up to 3,000 calories at his single meal, so he'll start slamming. Uh, so that's his choice. Uh, I'm sure he's aware that of the health consequences versus having two meals of 1,500 calories, probably doesn't care, probably goes with personal preference. And in the in respect to your specific question, um, I would say it probably doesn't matter too much, especially since we're talking about limiting to 50 grams per day overall. That means whatever carb binge you have is not really that big of a deal. Even if you eat 30 or 40 grams uh, at one sitting and then don't have any the rest of the day, even if you do get, for example, a... Uh, an insulin spike after a 40 gram ingestion, um, you're going to you're going to uh, moderate that, and it's going to go into the big picture kind of water under the bridge if you're minimizing insulin for the other 23 hours a day. You know what I mean? How's that sound? I know I'm trying to be vague. When it calls for vagueness, I'm going to give you vague. You want a precise answer? Sometimes we need those. We'll hit those too. So far, this has been the vague show, huh? Yeah, don't count the leafy greens and the avocados. It's all right. Somewhere around 30 to 50 is fine. Okay, okay. Yeah, I'm cool with that, man. I hope you guys are too. Okay, here we go with SH, a female, and she's got some issues. Let's hear about it. I started keto with the approval of my doc. I'm between 30 to 50 net carbs. I'm not eating starchy veggies, rarely fruit, except berries once in a while. I've lost three pounds uh, in recent times, but I have a lot of weight to lose and I was hoping to go faster. I also take steroids for Addison's. I know there's many factors, but am I doing something wrong or is this normal and average? Uh, here's another person, uh, Angie, kind of putting these two questions together. So SH was first and now it's Angie. I'm feeling frustrated. I started keto back in October. I lost 15 pounds in the first two months, took a break for Christmas and family events, Instead of struggling with the foods, I decided to just do low-carb for the holiday and didn't gain a single pound. Then I started keto in mid-January, and I haven't seen any change on the scale at all. I have tea with HWC. I don't know what kind of drug that is, man. Can you tell that I'm bugged by people using a random abbreviation that's not generally known? Or can you tell that I'm bugged that it's a very generally known abbreviation and I'm totally clueless? Both ways is frustration. <laughs> so she has her tea scrambled eggs with cheese and mushrooms for lunch on most days and protein plus vegetables or bas <clears throat> bas uh for dinner bas oh big ass salad good one <laughs> okay so she has a big ass salad with oil and vinegar and chicken for dinner i don't snack if i do it's cheese or meat or some raw veggies maybe some nuts my calories are typically around 1,400 and carbs are under 25. So 
uh, as Lindsay Taylor writes about a lot on Keto Reset Facebook group, uh, you could be in this category, Angie, of being a little too extreme with your methods and not consuming sufficient calories to achieve that metabolic health, which is the gateway to fat reduction. Because that doesn't seem like a lot of calories for anybody. It seems like your diet is really uh, on point with the keto goals and limiting that carb intake. So you would predict that uh, that would result in uh, excess body fat reduction. Uh, But if something's off there, I think we're going to have to go back and do some problem solving. Uh, You don't mention your exercise habits. If you're into overly stressful exercise habits, what's going to happen is your body is going to, uh, as a genetically programmed starvation response mechanism, you're going to slow down the rate of body fat reduction because your body sees it as a threat to your survival. So you're going to mess up your hormones, your leptin signaling, and you're going to level out despite a very minimal caloric intake. So we got to uh, address numerous things here. And one of them is that when you lost 15 pounds in the first two months of keto uh, and then are at a uh, plateau here, that seems like a quite common occurrence where uh, you're going to have to uh, be more patient and perhaps modify your approach to get further body fat reduction. You also didn't mention if you're feeling great and feeling stable energy, mood, cognitive function, and have no other complaints besides that the scale is at the same number. And then we also have to uh, respect that uh, perspective that the scale tells very little uh, in the big picture, and you could be at a better body composition level, perhaps with increased muscle mass uh, and reduced fat that's uh, resulting in a wash on the scale. Anyway, Tanya's next. I'm two weeks in. I've read every page of the book. I've calculated my macros carefully and diligently, and I find myself growly hungry at night. Not mentally hungry, but my belly growls. I don't eat because I want to keep my overnight fast to 14 hours. I've tried 10 or more. I've tried 10 more grams of fat per day and then going back down. No change. Is this normal for starting out to have that growly hungry? And remember that prominent hunger hormone ghrelin and Dr. Kate Shanahan's uh, suggestion that you remember that name because ghrelin gets your stomach growling. So you're very likely experiencing a hormonal response, a spiking of the prominent hunger hormone ghrelin in the evening. Uh, So, you know, writing into the podcast after two weeks, um, overall, I'd say, you know, let's just um, be reasonable here and not ignore a hunger sensation from the body. So if that's messing up your overnight fast at 14 hours, um, so be it. But if you're hungry, you're hungry. And two weeks in is one thing. But if you're two months in or two years in, and you're trying to ignore evening hunger pains, um, that's indicative of a flawed approach that's not going to be sustainable, right? I mean, no one wants to do that. So I would say, number one, give in to your hunger sensations because you're actually experiencing uh, uh, you know, profound metabolic sensation of that belly uh, growling. And so it's probably legit, you know what I mean? Uh, so that's the first thing. And then uh, wait till later in the morning to eat if you want to extend your overnight fast for some reason. You put the arbitrary number up of 14 hours. Uh, we know from Dr. Panda's science that 12 hours uh, is a minimum window. So it's a great idea to extend out to 14 hours and never dip inside of 12 hours. In other words, you want to have at least 12 hours off for your digestive system overnight. And uh, your eating window should be a maximum of 12 hours during the day. Obviously, it can be uh, much less of an eating window if you're into that mode where you're doing an 18-hour fast and a six-hour eating window or what have you. Um, and again, after two weeks, you're saying you've tried 10, 10 more grams of fat and no change, but we're talking about such a minimal time period that I think if you do increase your fat intake during the day, it should manage that hunger sensation predictably or give into it in the evening with a high-fat snack. Uh, oh, I forgot to finish your question. I'm trying to heal metabolic damage, sugar cravings, and binging, and so forth. I've lost about two pounds per week, so I've lost four pounds total. Um, great news. Great start. Um, Carry on. Don't worry about it. And one more thing I'll say, just for fun, is that hunger sensation, if you're an experienced, metabolically healthy, uh, metabolically flexible listener, you're into this keto thing, you're in a good groove, 
um, sometimes you can just override that easily and carry on. So I noticed that happening to me uh, in the mornings now, which it never did before when I was in strict keto, but now when I'm uh, possibly expanding outside that strict keto limit and my carb intake is jumping up probably over 100 grams per day on many of the days, under 50 on many other days, uh, but overall increased caloric intake, I notice those hunger sensations happen in the morning. And a lot of times I'll honor them with my hopefully soon to be world famous super nutrition green smoothie that you can search on YouTube, Brad Kern's morning green smoothie. Uh, but the days that I don't, uh, the hunger sensation happens for a little bit on cue. And then if I decide to fast, uh, I just uh, work through it, whether I go do a workout or just get busy or doing something and it goes away. So um, that said, in case uh, you're interested in the um, the big picture, the whole scene here. But for Tanya, just starting out and trying to build some momentum with keto, I'm not in favor of uh, ignoring those hunger cravings. I think you just eat when you're hungry, simple. But on the other side of the coin, wait until you're hungry in the morning before you eat your first meal, and then you may get back to your 14-hour window nicely. Andrea says... Can you give me some advice for getting back to keto while heavy lifting? I'm lower carb, but I'm cheating. I can't fast. I'm craving sugar and I'm not eating fun meals. I'm so bored, but stressed. All right. Thanks for sharing. I mean, you know, this is some serious stuff going on here. Um, those are legit complaints that we don't want to have happen as part of the scene. Uh, again, back to Maffetone. If, if you're saying this stuff, don't let anybody tell you that's normal. Don't let anybody tell you to be patient. It'll go away or work through it or any of that nonsense. We got to get this stuff handled, okay? So if you're doing heavy lifting in a chronic manner, my first recommendation is to quit doing that BS. Don't push your body too hard. You'll lose all the desired gains from strength training from heavy lifting, and you'll trend in the direction of carbohydrate dependency with sugar cravings, inability to fast, and so forth. Uh, extra stress as you relate. So we got to get that training aspect handled. And then secondly, of course you can do keto and heavy lifting. Luis Villasenor has done it for 18 years straight with a high level elite bodybuilding, elite physique, powerlifting competitor. Uh, so it's not like the, uh, the familiar quip that keto is for endurance athletes while uh, you know, high glycolytic athletes' uh, activities uh, require those extra carbs. Now, they might, if your unique individual circumstances, if you perform better when you increase your carb intake, and we also have to remember that because of your heavy lifting, uh, you're going to have a bigger uh, range of uh, potential uh, carb intake to stay in ketosis. So if you're burning a bunch of carbs at a strength training session on that particular day, maybe you'll be able to uh, exceed the template keto number of 50 grams a day and do just fine. As Dr. Kate Shanahan said throughout the book, if the glycogen suitcases are open in terms of being depleted after a uh, high-performance workout, any carbs you consume will go directly into refilling those suitcases and you won't get that excess insulin production that only happens when you consume too many carbohydrates more than your body can handle. Uh, this is Dr. Peter Atia's message as well, where he says that um, carbs are only offensive when they're consumed in excess uh, such that it disturbs homeostasis in the body. So carb intake in and around high-performance workouts might be a nice trick. Uh, Luis calls this, uh, oh shoot, is it cyclic ketogenic diet? or targeted ketogenic diet, sorry. Cyclic is possibly bad news where you're purposely going in and out of keto with the weekend uh, uh, cheat days and all that nonsense. Uh, we write about that in the book that that's probably not a great idea. But the targeted ketogenic diet where you're putting your carbs in and around those high-performance workouts, that could be some cool stuff and it could get you out of these complaints. We don't want people in complaint mode. So Andrea, I'll never forget you because your name is spelled with an O rather than an A. I want to get another email back from you saying, hey, I put in some sweet potatoes uh, in conjunction with these workouts, or um, I had some days where I uh, upped my intake of nutritious carbs from uh, whatever it is you decide, uh, massive quantities of 85 to 90% dark chocolate like me, and you feel better uh, after your workouts. None of that craving and crankiness. Here comes Kat. I'm sorry if this is a repeat question, 
But does going over my protein allotment, if it's collagen, count for turning into glucose? I'm moderately active, but by no means athletic. I space out my protein through the day, but sometimes I have a couple servings of collagen at once, uh, leading to 40 grams of protein. So remember that this uh, dreaded gluconeogenesis uh, taking uh, protein, whether ingested or from uh, lean body mass, and turning it into sugar uh, is a consequence of being uh, carbohydrate dependent, not yet fat adapted, but doing an extreme carbohydrate restriction diet. So if you're not a fat burner yet, and you get rid of the glucose in your diet, your body will make glucose via the fight or flight response. So that is an undesirable thing. And we've got to put that out there that if you're fat adapted, there's a different answer to this question than if you're not. So we want to assume that you're fat adapted and say that if you have a big dose of collagen at once, 40 grams of protein, I'm going to guess that maybe you're doing this for some fitness-related reason. You're not sitting on your butt all day at some desk job and then pounding 40 grams of collagen in the afternoon um, because I don't see the rationale for that. And we also, on the big picture, realize that for most people, it's pretty easy to hit that protein requirement of 0.7 grams per pound of lean mass per day on average. So the big doses of collagen, let's see, that's about a scoop and a half of the typical scoop when you see a scoop in a meal replacement powder like primal fuel, primal collagen fuel. Um, so that's a you know a decent amount. Uh, but as a female, if you're going, let's say, a 140-pound female uh, with with 25% body fat, going quick here, um, that's 35 pounds. So that's 105 pounds of lean body mass. And then three quarters of that, 0.7, is around 75 grams of protein as your daily requirement. So if you're taking half of it in the form of collagen at once, you're pretty safely going to get there uh, with just routine calorie consumption for the rest of the day and might even be trending on the excess side. So probably not a big thing to do every single day, but there's so many other benefits to collagen. We have a whole um, YouTube uh, production uh, with Mark Sisson and I where Mark talks through the benefits of collagen. Uh, so search for that. And that might be a part of your reason you're writing in is to do joint support, uh, all the other uh, attributes of collagen. So Paris, if it's low carb, medium protein, and high fat, why does everyone say that fat is a lever and you don't ha actually have to eat all the fat? I'm hitting my macros for carbs and protein, but I'm not hitting the fat macro. Should I meet the fat macro or not? Meet it within a certain amount or not? Uh, is there a no man's land for athletes where low levels of fat foretell a burnout or plateau situation? Interesting question. So fat is a lever because this is the one that you can vary in order to sustain, in order to achieve complete dietary satisfaction every single day. That's the main uh, connection of fat being the lever. It's the lever to eat whatever amount you need to achieve total dietary satiety, okay? If you're good at uh, burning fat, that means, as Mark Sisson often says to live audiences, you can choose to consume your next meal off of your plate or off of your butt and thighs, the storage areas for fat. So that's why fat is um, able to fluctuate uh, because we know that if you come up with a deficit on fat, you're going to obtain the rest of your caloric requirements for your energy for your busy day from storage areas on the body, something that a lot of people are interested in doing, okay? So you can eat uh, exactly up to your predicted fat macro. Let's say you plug in, you need 100 grams of protein, 50 grams of carbs, and then uh, your remaining caloric needs come from 400 grams of fat. You can eat 300 of them. You can eat 250 grams of fat, knowing that the rest will come off your body if that's your goal. If you're um, not interested in reducing excess body fat, you know that you can eat delicious high-fat meals and crank that lever all the way up to uh, where you uh, tie with your uh, basic daily caloric expenditure. Uh, but also keep in mind that uh, there's so much inaccuracy uh, with these basal metabolic rate calculations and the activity factors that all this stuff is a guessing game. That's why it's essential to relax, enjoy your life, Choose healthy, wholesome, nutrient-dense foods. If you're going for keto, you're going to stay away from 
uh, almost all sources of carbs except for uh, emphasizing the vegetables, little tiny bit of fruit, little tiny bit of incidental carbs, and leave it at that, especially uh, because the blood meters and all that stuff don't tell the whole story. Okay, how's that sound, Paris? Uh, here's a question about metabolic efficiency. I want Mark to flesh out better his assertion that after being keto for a while, you can get by on significantly fewer calories. Why do people become more metabolically efficient? What does that mean exactly? And here's my answer. Uh, I did some email answering there, so uh, putting that in. And I say, look, metabolic efficiency means that you unlock this incredible genetic attribute of being able to burn off stored body fat anytime you need energy, anytime you are missing uh, caloric energy from uh, regular meals. You also develop that ability to make ketones in the event that you're starving, fasting for a prolonged period of time, or uh, greatly restricting dietary carbohydrate, which was so common. The common experience of our ancestors was not three meals a day, and it was not a high-carb intake pattern. So, that's metabolic efficiency, is being able to uh, access internal energy sources anytime and make what the body needs to power through even a, a busy, strenuous day. If you're thinking of that hunter-gatherer ancestor who's looking for food, gotta get up the next day and go to work, man. Even if you're in a bad mood and a little cranky, gotta go find some food. It's a job that uh, you can't turn down. So that's metabolic efficiency. The opposite, the metabolic inefficiency, is where you can't function well unless you have those regular feedings of high-carbohydrate meals, and you get tired and cranky and brain fog in the afternoon if you so much as skip lunch or even delay lunch. That's the difference. Simple. Um, your fat is locked away in storage in the latter example of being metabolically inefficient. And even though you have <laughs> many, 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 many thousands of calories of fat stored on your body, they are locked away, inaccessible, even when you need energy, even when you're tanking uh, at the end of a race or in the afternoon uh, because of your metabolic inefficiency. Next question. Sorry, I didn't get a name on that one. How to gauge if you eat too much or too little protein on keto? Oh, good question. And how to gauge if you eat too much from one source, for example, dairy. So how to gauge that 0.7 grams per pound of lean body mass? Uh, we say that all the time. Everybody knows it. But what does that really mean? And are you measuring your protein every single day and generating monthly averages? Probably not. Pretty simple answers, though. I think you're going to be comforted. If you're eating too little protein, you are very soon going to feel like crap, exhausted, bags under your eyes, um, dragging in your step, cranky with your mood, uh, eventually uh, emaciated, a loss of lean muscle mass due to insufficient protein intake, hair falling out, all kinds of uh, signs of uh, adverse health. It ain't no fun. And your body works really well to uh, utilize amino acids from the diet, put them together if they're coming from different sources, and try to keep you alive with that basic daily uh, minimum protein requirement. So there's a minimum and there's an optimal, and the minimum's more like down to 0.5 grams per pound of lean body mass. So when we're talking about uh, that 140-pound female example we just used, and we're going down to uh, 0.5, remember lean mass is only 105 pounds, the rest is fat mass, and so we're talking about 50 grams of protein per day, 200 calories. That's pretty hard to get emaciated and into big trouble unless you have an eating disorder or unless you're doing some crazy diet where you're purposely avoiding uh, nutritious protein sources. So on the low side, not a big deal. Furthermore, Chris Kresser makes this interesting point, uh, backing it up with uh, his legitimacy, saying that if you start to get protein deficient, you will experience intense cravings for protein-rich foods. That is your brain saying, go eat that egg, man. Forget the egg-free diet, the low-protein diet. You're going to be compelled to consume protein that's in your world, that's in your imagination, okay? And too much protein. How do we know we're overdoing it? Well, Protein happens to be highly satiating, just like fat. So when you eat these high-protein meals, you may have noticed if you put a jar of Pringles on one side and a big pile of uh, chicken breast and egg and other high-protein foods 
or let's say uh, just a bunch of egg whites, so we take the fat out of the equation and you eat four egg whites, uh, you're going to be highly satiated. If you uh, even take a smoothie with four scoops of protein powder and some coconut milk and some greens in there, uh, you're going to be satiated for a long time. So that's the thing that kind of keeps us as a guide on the upper side. And also, theoretically, if you're on one of these ultra-high protein diets, especially they're popular where they want you to restrict the carbs and just go hitting the protein hard in the name of losing weight, what's going to happen is that excess protein uh, is toxic to the body, right? So you have to work hard to excrete it. The kidneys and the liver have to work hard to excrete it and or convert it into glucose via gluconeogenesis. So the high-protein, low-carb diet for someone who is not fat-adapted and trying to lose excess body fat, you're going to take that high protein, convert it into glucose, and it's going to quickly uh, actualize into a high-carbohydrate diet because you're converting all that excess protein. You don't need much, right? We only need uh, that minimum amount that we talk about, a couple few hundred calories for most people. Then we convert into glucose, and eventually, if we carry on down this uh, ridiculous path of excessive protein intake, you're converting it into glucose, then theoretically you're storing that excess glucose as fat. So you're going to gain weight when you're consuming excess protein uh, just uh, outside of the discussion of you know, uh, carbs and fat just for a moment. So that's the, uh, that's the answer for how much is too much and too little. We have a really good intuitive sense of the right amount of protein uh, just as Cresser identifies when you consume too little, you're going to crave it. And when you're optimal, you're going to feel pretty good, okay? So it's probably not the biggest um, risk factor or concern area in the diet. Most people get uh, plenty of protein. Oh, next question. Why the need for a six-week minimum on keto? Okay, as discussed in the book, we want to have out of the gate that commitment looking down the line six weeks ahead so that we know what we're facing and we're in it for the long haul. We're not going to try it and see how it goes and then feel a little bit of struggle at week three and bomb out. We're going to say six weeks, I'm doing this. Uh, I'm going to make the sacrifices required, have the focus and concentration required, uh, and no questions asked. Luis Villasenor made this excellent point on the interview I filmed with him at Paleo FX this year in Austin. He said, if you're struggling or you're wondering if you can succeed or not, just pick a menu, you know, stuff you like, like an omelet for breakfast, salad for lunch, steak for dinner, and eat the same thing every day so you know exactly what the macros are. You don't have to waste precious energy making decisions and filtering out temptations and getting into that uh, state of decision fatigue, which is where a lot of people bail out on their best intentions of even fitness uh, and also diet. So for best results, make that minimum six-week commitment to keto. Forget about it. Don't second-guess it. And the reason we picked that time, Dom D'Agostino indicates that that's when you experience the maximum benefits. The first three weeks may be a bit of a struggle. You're making a major dietary transformation uh, of foods that you've been eating and emphasizing for years and decades. You've been a sugar burner like the rest of us for decades, and all of a sudden you're making this radical shift. Uh, so even with the advanced preparation that's recommended in the Keto Reset Diet, first three weeks might be a bit of a struggle. I know it was for me, and the first time I tried keto, I bombed out at the three-week mark. Uh, I attribute this to uh, insufficient sodium intake, as Luis Villasenor mentioned so many times. Secondly, trying to sustain my normal fitness regimen, including intense workouts during that uh, reduction of carbs from you know the primal style, 150 grams a day down to 50 grams a day. So it was overwhelming to me because I was uh, having high energy demands for my muscles as well as my brain having transitioned away from the usual uh, carb intake that was fueling my brain function. So those things conspired to get me tired and kind of craving at this one point at week three, and I just said, forget it, and I started uh, to you know go back to my previous way of eating. It wasn't a dozen donuts at the donut shop but it was you know, more like just inhaling some nuts at the airport and then buying a second bag and inhaling that and realizing that I had come off the rails and then had to go back and problem solve. So my second foray into keto, I made sure to optimize that sodium intake, made sure to tone down my exercise efforts in those first three weeks. 
because as you struggle during the first three weeks, what happens is you get better and better with each passing day until, again, from Dr. D'Agostino's observation, things start to kick in and you start to get those fat-burning engines revved up around week three. So weeks four, five, and six get easier and easier than the first few weeks at the start. That's why you have that horizon in view from the very beginning that you know things are going to get easier if you hang on and keep your focus. So don't even make it an option to have a shorter duration of keto. Just know that you're going for it and that it's going to get better and better uh, provided you adhere to it. How's that answer? Oh my goodness. Thanks for the lively questions and for listening to the Keto Q&A show. Info at ketoreset.com. Appreciate your feedback, your own questions. Uh, keep them uh, brief and descriptive and of great interest to everyone. And those are the best kind of questions. This group today was fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing the experience and have a great day. This is your host, Brad Kearns. So Chris Kelly, Nourish, Balance, Thrive, we're, we're talking about health and you're telling me a funny story about your picky four-year-old daughter that won't eat unless there's Primal Kitchen uh, condiments on the table? It's true. My daughter will not eat unless there's f***ing the Primal Kitchen Wilder. <laughs> it's, it's this cute thing, actually, she does. We have a local state park called Wilder Ranch. Oh, yeah. And uh, she calls the ranch dressing Wilder Ranch dressing. Which <laughs> we, 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 there's no way we're going to correct her on that. It's just too perfect. It's so, so endearing. Uh, how old um, is she? She's four. Oh my gosh. So she likes like the mayo on a Oh yeah, she, so she loves those. So we love them as well. We have, uh, we, we eat them all the time. We eat the mayo, we eat the balsamic, we eat the, the ranch, um, the avocado oil we use all the time. And, and so, you know, that's completely genuine. And I don't mind talking about that because you took the pain in the ass out of condiments. I really appreciate that. What an authentic spot from Chris Kelly at Nourish, Balance, Thrive. And yes, Primal Kitchen, you can call it Wilder Ranch Dressing if you want. And uh, we'll send five cents of the proceeds over to that beautiful state park because they're, they're trying to make ends meet in Santa Cruz Mountains. Thank you very much, Chris. <laughs> That's my pleasure.